How are you, mate? Good, mate. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, we've uh, we've had this show in the pipeline for a little while, and uh, now that we're finally recording it, it's a it's a nuclear fallout episode, by the way. And um, basically, the world is on the cusp of nu- nuclear war. <laughs> so, you know, we couldn't have timed it better. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Suddenly, we're a doco series. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Tarot. We're reading tarot cards. Those pesky Russians, I tell you. Good old Putin. <laughs> It's like living in the 80s all over again. What a fucking nutcase. But I mean, we've all seen On the Beach. At least if it does happen, we've got a little bit more time. Yeah, that's if they... Uh, <laughs> that's because... Isn't it On the Beach, we just it's the fallout cloud that just slowly makes its way here? Yeah. They don't actually drop... But now they just push a button and they go everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just... Uh, yeah. Well, smoke them if you got them. That's what I say, Ben. Yeah, and that's the thing. The thing that's so upsetting about the whole thing is that they haven't. They're, you know, they keep refining the nuclear weapons, but they haven't refined the cure to radiation. Like, why isn't that the first thing they fucking work on? Like, here's this. You know, the pills that they hand out in on the beach are what the pills they're going to be handing out now. You know, and I think like the I think this is the you know the gist and the crux of most you know nuclear fallout films. There's the whole thing of like, who drops a nuclear bomb these days? Because you're going to wipe yourself out too. That's the thing that makes absolutely no sense. I mean, the, the whole point of them was that is that nobody would be crazy enough to drop one. Yep, yep. But they <laughs> they seem to be. They do. Well, we're going to talk all about it on uh, this episode. But uh, g'day to everybody. Um, hello, listeners. Welcome to Good Movie Monday. Thanks for hitting play. This is the weekly podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name's Glenn Cochran, and everybody's favourite co-host is Ben Helwig. Strap in for the next 90 minutes or so as we suit up and wander the wastelands of a nuclear holocaust. (laughs) We're going to discuss Fallout films. The reason we're doing it is because imprint films are releasing the incredible 1983 film Testament onto Blu-ray, which is about as realistic and terrifying as nuclear war Fallout films can get. But I'm especially excited because our guest on today's show is the director of said film, Lynn Littman, uh, who recently gave up her time to chat all about it. So definitely hang around for that, but also hang around for a bunch of other post-apocalyptic recommendations. And all of our regular listeners who have me figured out by now will probably be surprised to know that I'm not going to talk about radioactive dreams. (laughs) It would have been a go-to for me and quite predictable, of course. But Ben, before we go any further, mate, let's do a little bit of a quick personal recap. Have you watched anything decent since we last recorded? Uh... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Anything worth noting? I know we saw Barbarian at the cinemas and we are going to record a, a video for uh, tonight, actually, for that a, a reaction. Yeah, that was great. What else have I seen? I don't know. I kind of wish you would have asked me this question off air so I could think about it because, uh, <laughs> as I explained to you before we came on, the <laughs> type 4 diabetes slash dementia is set in and I can't remember anything. If I had prepped you for this question, we wouldn't have had that juicy comment. No, I'm just trying to think of... <laughs> well, I saw Clerks 3. I watched that. Paid a lot of oh, money for it, too. Okay, now I understand what this was. 
<laughs> what was it? It was just a, it was just a, a sec, an excuse for you to talk about Clerks Three. That that was was a, it's a personal recap. It's a, well, I have I saw Testament. I may have asked you this question last week on the show as well. You know, just a recap question. <laughs> I don't I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clerks Three, dude, this surprised the shit out of me. It's well worth a look. Anyone that's wondering, it's better than Clerks Two, and um, yeah, take some um. Tissues, because there's a lot of dust in the air when that one's playing. Is there? Uh, does the pussy troll maker return? <laughs> the donkey does. The door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, look, it would have. It'd be hard pressed to beat the donkey in. Uh, is it Perdita Durango? But uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, the donkey's there for the same reasons in both films. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's good. It's good. If it's good, it's worth a look. Yeah. So, um, you watch Testament. Well, good. I'm glad this. because that's you know the focus of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> I found it because you did mention you're like, did I give you a copy of that film? And I was like, I don't think so. And then I found it on my computer. I'm like, oh, you did. Oh, yeah. You did send me that screener link. <laughs> Excellent. So I watched it. It's good. And the funny thing is though, is that just recently, because I've been doing a lot of work on the Burt Reynolds box set for Umbrella. Yeah. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Burt Reynolds films, and I finally decided to sit down and watch City Heat. All right, which is Burt and um, Clint and Clint Eastwood. Yeah. But the but uh, Clint's love interest in it is the lead from Testament, who was nominated for an Oscar for Testament. For Testament. Too. Yeah, she's she's in. Um, I also I've been. I realized that for some reason I skipped season six of The Good Wife. Uh-huh. So uh, what I've been watching usually in the mornings while I'm having breakfast is I'm just <laughs> getting back at that. And she's always a judge in it. Jane Alexander? I think Jane name. Alexander, yeah. yes. Yeah. Who I always get mixed up with with the, with the um, with Jane <laughs> Adams. All oh, right. When, when someone <laughs> says that, I'm thinking, the, the one from OC, from Orange County. No. Oh, Jane Alexander. No, which one? Oh, okay. Who calls that show Orange County? No, 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 the movie Orange County. Oh, yeah. She's in the movie Orange County. That's where I, I fucked up the other way. <laughs> no, I'm so the, confused. The Jack Black, uh, the Jack Black Orange County. Oh, dearie me. So anyway, uh, so yeah, we did see Barbarians. Uh, this is pushing us along now. <laughs> this is like moving towards the segue. Uh, we'll get to the point. We'll find the point. <laughs> that's right. And you could uh, catch our reaction review to that tonight on Facebook and YouTube. And join us on those platforms throughout the week as well, because we're going to be doing other stuff, uh, including Lucky Dip, and Chloe and I are going to do a bit of an uplate video, as we do every week. And uh, subscribe to all of our pages, please, and, and comment, like, share, follow, all that kind of stuff. Um, let's do this, Ben. There's no screen round this week. Gamos are feeling poorly, so. Well, you know, look, since you brought up earlier, you brought up... Um uh, nuclear war with uh, <laughs> with Russia. I just had a quick look on my phone because I was like, I don't watch the news as a rule. Yeah, right. I'm kind of I live my life with blinkers on. Yeah, uh, and just just watching the Good Wife. <laughs> isn't, isn't that the, isn't that got all the news in it? <laughs> uh, so I just had a quick. I thought, am, am I missing something? Has something happened? <laughs> Has somebody threatened something? So I had a quick look at the old news app on the old yeah on the old iPhone, mm. and uh, there is. Fuck nothing about it. <laughs> like, obviously, flooding in New South Wales. Uh, Lydia Thorpe faces Senate censure. Well, it's on the beach syndrome, mate. It's because we're so far away, we're we don't care. Ex-swim instructor Kyle Daniels cleared of more sexual abuse allegations. <laughs> this is what the news is. But I can assure you that... An oldie version of The Rock. <laughs> Putin's finger is on the button. Oh, yeah, no, but I'm just... I'm, I'm saying the... the 
the, the news doesn't give a fuck. Well, I'm sure like, Meghan sure Mig Markle's on there. It, yeah. Her <laughs> sex scene resurfacing is there. Uh, like, it's all, it's all like Guillermo-type news. Hmm. No actual... Oh, ah. Sorry about that, Guillermo. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Like, it's yeah, all—it's it's Hollywood news. news. It's, it's entertainment news. news. Yeah, absolutely. But I must say, like, to to Guillermo's credit, I mean, if anyone's on theme this week, it's him. It's feeling it, yeah. very poorly. No, he's just—he's. <laughs> gonna say he's—he's he's just disappeared down his in the in the bunker. That's right. Uh, but the Boneheads will also be coming along a bit later to inject their Kentucky twang into the show. And right now, we've got Jared Gunn from Monster Fest. Uh, he would be here to let you know all about what's coming out on Home Entertainment this week, which is kind of what he does, but there's practically nothing this week. So uh, enjoy this <laughs> few seconds of fun, and uh, we'll be back in just a tick. So yeah, don't if you're one of those people that goes and makes a cup of tea or something, don't do that. We'll be right back. <laughs> hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, this is going to be a quick one, as there's one solitary release hitting Home Entertainment this week, and it's coming courtesy of ViaVision. That title is the Deanna Durbin Ultima Collection, a 17-disc DVD box set that collects pretty much the bulk of Deanna Durbin's filmography, with the exception of maybe four or five films. Now, if you haven't heard of Deanna Durbin before, you'd be forgiven, because guess what? She was a prolific actress from the mid-1930s to the late 1940s. So, in this instance, if your grandparents are still alive, this could make for a great Christmas present. Anyway, that's it for me for this week, so until next time, stay physical. So, yeah, fuck all coming out this week. <laughs> Save your money, folks. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I do want to quickly touch upon is um, the Melbourne Horror Film Society there got their upcoming screening of Urban Legend, and we did the Urban Legend-focused episode a few weeks ago with Melzi, and she's not on the Destus Brook list, so we thought we'd uh, we'd sort of... Uh, I thought I'd do a little bit of that for her, so... But she's in, in a couple of weeks. Yes. Oct- when it's too late. October 25th at Long Play, Urban Legend, the Jamie Blanks film. It's, it's a great slasher from the 90s. Get along to that, because... I'd say it's probably the best slasher from the 90s. I, yeah, and I kind of... When we did our interview with Jamie, I kind of alluded to that, too. Like, I thought it was better than Scream. Like, maybe just, you know, aesthetically and just the atmosphere of the film itself is... I think it's richer than Scream. Yeah. Whether well, the story is, I don't know. It's more fun. Yeah. I mean, it's probably more a more legit slasher than Scream. Scream is a... Parody almost. Yeah. It's a slasher of slashes. Yeah. Meta. Like, it's meta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, long play, urban legend. Just follow the Melbourne Horror Film Society on social media and, um, yeah, get along if you can. So, there was nothing coming out on Home Entertainment this week that, you know, was worth reporting on, but I did go and sort of look forward a week just to see what might be coming out next week. So you're just spoiling Jarrett's uh, segment for next week? Only by one title because I was kind of shocked to, and I thought it was worth talking about, shocked to see the Sweet Baby's coming out, right? You know, the Brooke Shields movie? Pretty Baby. Pretty Baby, sorry. Did I say Sweet Baby? You said Sweet Baby. baby. Geez, that makes me sound like a creep. I don't know what the Sweet Baby is, (laughs) but I want to see it. Pretty Baby, I was shocked that it's got an M rating. Like This is, in today's world... It hasn't been, I can tell you this much right now, it wouldn't have been resubmitted. It just would have been whatever they got off the classification board website. So wow. it would have been an M rating before. Because, I mean, because It may have been cut. Well, it got, its first release in Australia was an R rating. It was an R rating, yeah. And then it got the X rating in the UK. And I mean, you watch it now, it's, it's, it's shocking. Like, you know, I like watching movies that are provocative and all that. There's, you know, I have got nothing wrong with content, but I do have a problem with misclassification. 
And in today's world, when everyone kicks up a stink about such things, I mean, it basically has Brooke Shields as like a, a 12 year old fully. A child, she's a child prostitute, fully she's naked. Fully nude and sexualized and gets it on with a 29 year old Keith Carradine. Like, you know, it is a problematic film and yet it's got an M rating. That's hilarious. So, anyway. I mean, look, it is. When I look at, I'm looking at the classification website, the 35mm was M and the <laughs> videotape was M. And do they argue contextual? Like it's contextual? I don't know they, how you could. This this <laughs> classification is so old they actually don't give you any reasons behind the classification. It's just the even the consumer advice is non specified. Well look, you know, if you're if you're someone that can, you know, let certain things slide, just you know, contextually speaking, it's a pretty good movie. I really enjoy that one. But yeah, that shocked me. I thought it was worth talking about. We should have had that on our controversial episode. So yeah. It's a bit <laughs> gross, to be honest. And it was yeah. but it was considered gross at the time. It was, because that was kind of the point of it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um I think Brooke Shields has even come on the record saying she looks back on it fondly, like it was done yeah. well, like it was made well behind the scenes. That's like Catherine Heigl coming out and saying that uh, <laughs> you know, I enjoyed making my father the hero, but when I look back at it now, yeah. like yeah, that's you know, true. my ass that's is hanging true. out. <laughs> like my parent you know, mum didn't think anything of it. We didn't think anything of it at the time, but now I look at it and I'm like, oh, it's a bit uh, <laughs> True. It's a bit gross. Anyway, shall we suck in some poisonous air and talk about fallout movies? Let's do it. You go first, my friend. Very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> well, look, I'm surprised. I'm I'm just as surprised about you not talking about Radioactive Dreams <laughs> uh, as me not talking about Miracle Mile or Cherry 2000 because they would always be my go-to. Uh, I did revisit post. Miracle Mile uh, last week ahead of this episode. What a fantastic Not film. even anticipating we talk about it. It just felt like it. Because it's, it's a fucking awesome movie. It certainly is. Like, it's it's possibly Anthony Edwards' best you know, his best films. And it's it's rare to see him in a leading role like that. And, what, and he was great. What I learnt, which I didn't know, is um, who's the lead actress in that? I can't remember. No, Mayor Winningham, is it? Yes. They're married in real life and only recently married. They they met up again at the reunion for Miracle Mile that they put together for the Blu-ray release. How incredible is that? Yeah. Wow. I wonder if that... Did they have a thing at the time? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, that's I, a great I, story, I though. That's a good bit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean. Well, no, because that's right. Because no, Mayor Winningham had just had a baby. Oh right. Like it was very yeah. similar to Melanie Griffiths in in Cherry Two Thousand. Yeah. Like she'd had the baby like a week or two before they started filming. Like if you look at Mayor Winningham in that in Miracle Mile, yeah, she looks a lot different than she did in Turner and Hooch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it's because yeah, totally. she literally just had a baby. Yeah. Um, I mean, her her hairstyle is very off putting in Miracle Mile. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like if there's a, <laughs> yeah, if there's a fallout, I don't know. Hand. I don't know what those. I don't know what. Uh, I don't know if she just turned up first day on set with. Uh, it's my hair now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like I know, I do know a lot of a lot of women when they have their first child or when they start having kids, cut it they cut their hair easier. short because the kids like to grab onto it. When they're practicing their um, their grabbing not, reflex, not only that easier in the morning to get easy ready, in the morning yeah. and stuff, but they grab on and they yank it. They yeah. yank it really fucking hard. Yeah. Kids are cunts. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, at um, least we've got enough miracle mile talk to put it on our letterbox. On the list. That's right. That's, that's all I was really going for. Yeah, but it's but great. Instead, I thought I'd talk about one of my uh, favorite favorite actors in one of my favorite films, and that is Hell Comes to Frogtown from 1988. Wow, I did not anticipate that, <laughs> and I'm so happy because we reference it all the time, time, but we never stop and talk about it. Starring the late, great 
uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. Uh, in a very early leading role. I'm actually, if I meant to uh, have a look, I can't remember if this is before oh, they live I or think it's, after. I think it's after, but coincidentally, the last time we referenced him was on the Urban Legends episode. episode yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I know that, I know that uh, yeah, one of the, whoever did it first is the one who takes credit for his acting. Yeah, right. Because before... Before doing They Live, he was, a, you know, terrible. Which, I mean, look, I've seen a couple of other movies before They Live. He's not that bad. He's pretty fucking good. Um, but this is this is a weird one. This It's directed by Donald G. Jackson uh, and R.J. Kaiser. And R.J. Kaiser receives absolutely no credit for this. Donald G. Jackson is the one who's, who's all over the commentaries and the extra features and stuff. And you look at any of our, Donald D. Jackson's other films, they're fucking abysmal. Yeah, right. RJ Kaiser is the reason this movie is great. And sure. I contacted this when we were we were at one stage we were looking at putting this out. And oh. I contacted him and he's like, you know what? No one has ever asked me about how it comes to Frogtown. Ever. I've never done a single Please. interview about it. Nothing. Wow. That shocks me. It shocks me. And I was so disappointed when Vinegar Syndrome brought out their new release that they had they had done such a shit ass job by just buying the arrow extras and adding nothing new to it. And you're like RJ Kaiser is like he still works. He still works in movies. Like he is yeah. a he does like post sound on Marvel movies and stuff. Like yeah, he right. Still, so he's, he's working in a prolific way. Yeah, but how and he is completely accessible. Like I literally got his email address from IMDb Pro. I guess you forget the niche kind of circles that we revolve in, right? For yeah. some, for for people not to ask him about how it comes to Frogtown is shocking to me. You know, this is a movie that you know we talk about all the time. All how the is time. that possible? Yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's written by Randall Frakes, who also, you know, co-wrote Terminator 2 mm-hmm. and other awesome things. Uh, and, and, uh, along for the ride is Sandal Bergman, Cease Verrill mm-hmm. from, uh, Silk. Yeah. Well, hang on. I always get it mixed up. Is she Silk or is she Silk 2 from Silk 2? One is Monique Gabrielle and the other is Cease One or Verrill. the other. But she's also, she was very hard to track down. I tried to track her down to, to talk to her about how comes to frog yep. town and she's disappeared. I mean, is, yeah, um, is this something that's still likely to happen? But, because uh, uh, I'm excited <laughs> at the thought I, of it. I would love to, but yeah. um, it's a hard one to push through because of the arrow and vinegar syndrome. Do a triple pack. Syndrome releases. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> the triple pack, that was my idea, was to include, well, was to, to include at least uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown Part 2, but that was produced by this woman, Tanya York. <laughs> I contacted her... Uh, th- via LinkedIn mm. and asked her who had the rights, like what's going on. And she's like, that film was taken by the bank during a, a, um, a bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And she, I don't know where it is. And I was, she doesn't even know the bank. Wow. So the trail is gone dead what? as to who owns the actual rights to Hell Comes to Frogtown 2 or 3. I know there's there's this guy, Scott... Scott something or another who's the star who basically takes over for mm, Rowdy yeah. Roddy Piper yeah. as um as what's his name? Something his name's Sam Hell or something like that, I think is is his uh his name in the film. Yeah, Sam Hell. Um But and he may own the third one. Yeah. Because he out. just kind of went and did them. Which is I mean that is a shit house film. But they're yeah, they're they're both yeah. terrible. But it's just, you know, something that you need as a completist. I was about to, to say, even if like you you could release the the fir- first one in a beautiful Blu-ray and then like supplement them with part two and three in H in a regular um low yeah oh no you just res. oh yeah you put two films on the one yeah just uh, you know just compress do it then with the Brian Trenchard Smith stuff like have some SD versions 
Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. You're like, there's, there'd be totally, totally uh, ways around it because it's only, it's only come out on DVD, and those DVDs are fucking expensive. Right, if you can DVD. find them. I mean, this is good stuff for people um, listening, but this is just the regular Glenn and Ben conversation yeah, now. <laughs> so basically, the the plot of the film is there's the uh, nuclear war. World War Three has happened. Yep. It went nuclear. And they call it the nuclear kiss. Yeah, uh, that's great. And society is is kind of you know on the outs. And the population are dwindling, and a massive portion of the people still left alive have mutated, are mutated frogs. frogs They're yeah. frogmen. <laughs> they live in Frogtown, and the the leader of Frogtown is is uh, Commander Tot. Yeah. Um, who I like to think of is named after um, Tot in uh, Indiana Jones: The Raiders of the Lost Ark. The, <laughs> the you know the psycho German guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh. As what also has happened is that the majority of men are unable to produce jizz, mm-hmm. and the frog majority jizz. of frog <laughs> jizz, the majority of women are infertile. Yeah, and then they come across Sam Hell, who has left a spade of pregnant women in his wake, because <laughs> uh, he's he's the most fertile man that uh, they've ever come across. And should I mention, society is also a matriarchy now. Mm. The and the the controlling government body are basically this medical uh facility that are trying to yeah you know for all intents and purposes repopulate the earth and uh so they they find and capture sam hell who's about to be uh killed by william smith because he's like a a, like a local sheriff whose daughter sam has uh, (laughs) uh you know uh knocked up and so he's rescued by them by this medical uh, by the medical company whose name oh, I just can't cannot remember what they called the company, the organization. Yeah, yeah. But um, they basically draft him into their into their uh, armed forces and then send him on a mission to Frogtown, where like seven fertile women have been kidnapped <laughs> and sold into slavery, and he has to go rescue him with the help of. Um, it's very Fury Road, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's more. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's like that theme with all of the women that he's you know using to impregnate. That's what. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, doing. yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That, totally. Yeah, and he was just trying to have one viable offspring. Yeah. Um, that wasn't uh, Quentin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, Dad. And, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so along for the right. So Sandal Bergman is like, kind of like the company rep, uh, <laughs> rep and Cease Feral is their kind of gung ho. Yep. Gunsmith, who who's along for the ride, and it's it's just fucking fun. It is like it's just it's a lot of fun for a film. like just watching Rowdy Roddy Piper, who's possibly the greatest showman in the history of the WWF. <laughs> yeah, uh, just and he's playing like he's playing a nice guy. He's against type as his character, as his persona of Rowdy Roddy Piper, who was yeah. always like a, who, especially at the start of his career during the Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. phase. And the Goonies and all that sort of stuff. He's a heel. He's yeah. one of the kind of the best heels. But then, as his movie career kind of took off, he started becoming more and more of the hero, mm-hmm. uh, kind of, you know, in in wrestling. And you know, and I think movies like Hell Comes to Frogtown are reasons why. Yep. And it's, it's he gets strapped. They strap a like a a, a jizz monitor onto his crotch <laughs> and. Yeah, if he if he gets a certain distance away from Sandal Bergman, his balls will explode, <laughs> and all sort of stuff. But the, the whole thing, like they're all still, all the women still want to try and bang mm-hmm. him, yeah, because they've heard, uh, you know, 
Far how out. fertile he is. And he's always the, the catch line is always you know the catch line the the bit about the 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 thing is like you know how can we get your junk out? He's like oh there's a flap, there's a flap so he can still do his uh, patriotic duty of repopulating <laughs> uh, the earth. It's funny that you mentioned me uh, not doing Radioactive Dreams because the two films are so similar. Well, if you think that's similar, wait till you hear what I talk about in my next film. Oh, excellent. Well, we may as well then get to mine. Uh, I want to just quickly name drop three that were contenders for this week because three Aussie ones. One was, of course, Smoke Him If You Got Him. Almost did that one. The Quiet Earth, New Zealand, but we'll claim it. And then One Night Stand, <laughs> the John Dugan film. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good one too. But um, here's what happened to me this week. I settled on a film and I was thinking of ways to describe it. And I like to compare movies with others. And then I realized I should have done the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to maybe do that as an honorable mention. So I'm going to recommend Dead Man's Letters, which is a Russian film that is just bonkers. And then throw in an honorable mention to Hardware, Richard Stanley's Hardware, because that's the movie that it made me think of. Um, and Hardware is one of those movies that I owned on VHS Thought it was like a forbidden film and just fucking adored it. I always found it to be like this. I mean, it is a it is a ripoff of two thousand AD. Like, of course it is. And they got they got sued. They got sued. Had to acknowledge it. Had to acknowledge it. Yeah, but like, I mean, I always thought the cover for Hardware was better than the movie. I really sure. I like, and admittedly, two very cool covers too. Admittedly, I saw it after seeing Fortress. Yeah, and I was like, hang on, this is all. This is all like just like a you know poor man's fortress for, yeah. some, for, for whatever. I mean, like it's it it's not, but it, I there were some things that were kind no, of I that get just it. I get it paralleled, and so I was always like, well, why would I watch this when I can just watch Christopher Lambert's well, fortress? Yeah, well, I, I adored. I think maybe and I, I also because of because of the practice, yeah. which I think was was big at the time where I first watched Hardware, <laughs> and I was like, hey, this fucking Dylan McDermott guy is a real <laughs> cock. Just have a cry. There's always like, there's always like, why well, his eyes always red and there's a single tear rolling down his his uh, chiselled cheek. What show did you say that was? The practice. That's right. And then it's funny. Anthony Edwards was the ER guy, so it's like yeah. you know we're we're tying it to. But he was a sh- like Anthony Edwards has always been a schlub, whereas Dylan McDermott is always <laughs> usually the good-looking asshole, like in things like Jer- uh, the original Jersey Girl. Yeah. You know, not the yeah yeah not, not the, the Smith, Smith one, one, the actual. The real one? Well, you wouldn't know it, but I didn't go with hardware. That's not my recommendation, <laughs> right? So, Dead Man's Letters. I just letter. wanted to talk about it enough to get it on the letterbox Excellent. List. Thank you, sir. You've done me the favour. Uh, 1986, this one came out. And of all the nuclear fallout films that I've seen, this one's probably the most visually arresting. It's um, it's the And it made me think of hardware because of that. It has a very similar aesthetic. But uh, this is much more grounded in that what-if kind of reality. It makes you think about. And the film was made... In Russia, obviously, as a response to all of the American wave of nuclear fallout films that were coming. So that's what I really enjoy here is that it's the the Western world is making all their versions of this, but we're getting one from a Russian perspective Mm. here. And it's a Russian civilian perspective as well. And to give you an idea of what it looks like and how the tone of the film is, it starts off with a shot practically of a mountain of rubble, as if a skyscraper has fallen and that's what's left. But everybody's living inside the crevices. So it's like a city inside an old building that's collapsed. And that is pretty much where the whole film takes place, inside all these concrete crevices and there's lots of toxic water puddles and things like that. And it's presented in washed out sort of colour sort of grading. So instead of black and white, it's like yellow and white. It looks like a piss stain movie, right? 
And then, <laughs> and then some, Christ. sometimes it, it is a blue hue, depending on where it is. But that's kind of the look of the film. And it's this film's made to look old and decrepit, which is great. Well, it's Russian, so <laughs> quite possibly it just was. But there's not actually much of a story. It just follows a group of people adapting to the new world that they live in and following conversations about whether or not the world can regenerate itself, how can we help it regenerate itself, all hope is lost and all that kind of stuff. But as you're going, you start to discover that there are some people who are clearly going to survive the fallout, but then there's still a lot of people left that just, the, you know, the stragglers that are going to die anyway. And it, yeah, it, it, like I said, no story, but it's the funny thing about it is <laughs> they rely on the intellectuals that are left, right, in the world to try and figure stuff out. Always a mistake. But that's the thing because these intellectuals, yes, they're the smartest people left, but they're not necessarily schooled in nuclear war or energy. They're just smart in other areas. But yet that's the last hope is that these people are smart. Let's, let's leave it to them to figure out. So I, f- I found that quite fascinating. But that's a, do you, my, one of my favorite bits from The Day After Tomorrow is when they're all in the library. Yeah, yeah. And there's, that, the, there's the black kid who's fiddling around with the radio and the cop is like, don't you reckon we should get someone else to look at it? And the kid's like, I'm the president of the math club, the chess club, <laughs> and the AV club. If you can find a bigger nerd in this room, bring him on. Yeah. But there's also that theme of um, protect the books. Yeah. yeah. Well, except the tax law. They're quite happy to burn the tax law. <laughs> Anyway, Dead Man's Letters, it's great. It's very bleak. And actually, if you remove all of the humor from Smoke Me If You Got Him, that's kind that's of what the movie is. You know, it, like you talking about this has made me realize that I fucked up oh, with, really? my, with my choices because I've been, I picked up a while ago, I picked up The Last Battle. Yeah. The Jean Luc uh, Jean Besson Luc Besson's Jesus Christ. Luc Besson's <laughs> first film. Yeah. And I've been meaning to like I needed an excuse to I got, watch I it. I got that on Blu-ray recently too. Yeah. And fuck, I should have done that too. I was like, why <laughs> like I should have just watched that. It's like, similar. It's very it's, similar. Yeah. Wow. I never like I'm watching this the whole time and never put that together, but now I'm thinking about it, it's practically the same movie. Yeah. Hey everybody, it's me interrupting me again and I come with my habitual reminder to have the Newsly app on your phone. Uh, I'm sure you've all got it by now. Surely that's how you're listening to us on the free Newsly app. Yeah? It's that super app that correlates news articles from all around the world uh, from 80 different countries and then it funnels them all into your phone all according to your personal criteria selection. So whether you love sports, drama... You might like politics, you might like uh, science, you might like movies, you might like the stage, whatever it is, if there are articles relating to it, it will find them and it will put them straight into the palm of your hand, all for free. Then the kicker is, it reads it back to you in a natural human voice. Very, very handy for when you can't read your phone. You might be driving in the car or you might be jogging. Uh, This is a great way to get all of that content into your ear holes. And the best part of all is... Even though this is free, they do have a premium service, which is well worth checking out because you get so much more. And, well, you know, you'd be doing us a favor if you give it a try. And you get one month free using our personal code, Monday without the O, M-N-D-A-Y. Give it a shot. It's not going to cost you anything. And uh, if you do, well, that all comes back into our favor. You'd be doing us a solid, and we would really appreciate that. So get yourself the Newsly app. It's a whole lot of fun. Every podcast in the world is on there. Uh, but you don't care about those, do you? 
<laughs> anyway, uh, I rarely get an opportunity to introduce a song on this show. So here we go. The first song of this show. Uh, listen to the lyrics of this one because it's a very, very upbeat, happy kind of song. But these damn lyrics are nasty.
that is a fucking great song, a classic. It's called We Become Silhouettes by the Postal Service, which is a side project for Benjamin Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's a happy-go-lucky song, but fucking terrifying because it's all, you know, go back and listen to it. It's all about people decomposing in the fallout of nuclear war. So... I just hope that the closing song is uh, The End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M. from Blast from the Past. <laughs> Another fantastic post-apocalyptic movie that's, well, it's, yeah. You could have you could have put your recommendation in ahead of time and I might have been able to legalize, uh, le- do the legal checks on that one, but <laughs> it's a bit late now. <laughs> no, you gotta, you got to tell me when I can make a, a recommendation. Every time you say that, I tell you every week, mate, you can just volunteer just one. Just volunteer, no. Yeah, it saves my, my time, mate. No, I need to be, uh, I need to be corded. <laughs> Anyway, what a song that one is. And now um, now that we've played a song that illustrates the horrors of a nuclear fallout, it's time to focus on a film that shows it, and that is our testament. It's horrifying. You watched it. Um, I watched it today. Yeah. Absolutely mortifying film. It's a very realistic uh, you know, take on the whole nuclear fallout. I, it is. If you remember that uh, TV show Jericho, yeah. it is 100% Jericho. Yeah. Like, you know, but not serialized. Mm. But it is just... Because where are they? They're in like they're in a, a they're relatively in San small Francisco, town. In, I think just like in that area, San Francisco Bay area. Yeah, right. And they and they the William Devane has gone off to Chicago or something. Yeah. And because the, the East Coast is completely has, is the first hit. Yeah. But they don't really hear anything. Yeah. They don't know what's going on. They're completely in the dark. They've got a there's an old guy uh, who has a like a CB radio, yep. and he's like, I haven't been able to contact anyone past this point which i'm sure would mean something if yep. you're uh, from the states totally uh and it is and then the, it everything just decays yeah, well, like well, the, they, do get, they, they, they get that moment where it's just that flash in the sky yeah right which is a, it's a horrifying image just that that flash everything goes white everything else yeah. stops yeah and she's like the, <laughs> jane alexander's like come on get away from the window and yeah. they do like literally do duck and cover <laughs> yeah and you're like, oh, come on, man. Have you guys not read Where the Wind Blows? <laughs> I guess, though, in the uh, in the sense of, you know, in reality, if something happened like that, that's your instinct, isn't it? What would you do? Yeah. yeah. I'd get in the door jam. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do? That's all yeah. right. Anyway, it's got Maybe a, if I go down to the shed. It's got a great cast. As we said before, Jane Alexander was nominated for an Oscar, William Devane. But Kevin Costner and Rebecca De Mornay are in this, and a very, very young Lucas Haas. And I'm going to talk about that stuff in this uh, interview. So, Imprint are putting it out on Blu-ray. You definitely want to pick this one up. It's got that really interesting poster art too, where it's just white. Like that yeah. is that is it. Um, but here it is, Lynn Littman. She joined me for a Zoom chat, and um, I'll let who do a more talking. I like do a little bit, but you know, that's not like you to not to only do a little bit of talking. <laughs> Says he who just took fifteen to twenty minutes to talk about his movie. How comes the frog town? Yeah. <laughs> this is San Francisco. We have lost our New York signal. Radar sources confirm the explosion of nuclear devices there in New York and up and down the East Coast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is real. This is... Well, it is amazing to be chatting with you, Lynn. After all of these years, can you believe that we're still talking about Testament? Well, unfortunately, we're probably in the same political jeopardy that we were all those years ago. So I'm glad, I'm glad we're talking about it. Um, I can't think of a more effective and, to be frank, numbing um, post-apocalyptic movie. And I'm going to assume that your experience as a documentary filmmaker 
influence the way that you approach the material. Can you talk a little bit about that and what drew you to this story in the first place? Well, when I read it, it was published in Ms. Magazine, the version I read. It had been published in two other magazines before. When I read it, it took my breath away. And that's always, um, that's always a good reaction to, dis to discover what you're passionate about. It, was, it wasn't my experience as a documentary filmmaker that drew me to it. It was my, it was my experience as a mother. Um, I was drawn to it because at, at about that time, I guess in the very early 80s, there seemed to have been some kind of active threat about, about nuclear possibilities. And my son was four, maybe five. And um, I was terrified. I was terrified. And this was a complete explication of terror. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in, its, in its simplest form. And I love the fact that it, that it doesn't show any, disa any disaster stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very good point. Do you think, though, that as a documentarian, your approach to how you told the story was related to the way you had previously been telling stories? Because it feels very real. It feels very real, but that's, um, that's the sorely missed gift of many filmmakers today. I don't mean that I was, I was gifted, but um, getting reality from actors is an entirely different skill from talking to real people. Yeah. Um, um, incredibly different skill. It's different for, it, it's, it's totally different. What I did learn from, what I did bring from documentaries is that you can tell when somebody's being honest. That's a skill you do develop. You can tell when somebody's putting you on or evading or whatever. And um, so I was able, also I had wonderful actors. Sure did. I mean, I had really wonderful actors, so it wasn't as though I'd invented the wheel. They were they were quite terrific. Absolutely. And you mentioned motherhood there, and I think it was, um, you know, to your credit, such a powerful thing to remove the father from the story. And that was something that was going on in Hollywood at the time, particularly like your Spielberg films. They were, you know, the absent father was always a, a factor. Um, yeah, was that was it just your own experience was a driving factor for doing that? I do think it made the the story stronger to have this mother, you know, to the rescue essentially, like for lack of better phrasing. Well, that that was the story that Carol Amen wrote. I hmm. we John Young wrote a beautiful script, but I don't think he added that. I think that was in the original story, unless I'm okay. very mistaken. Yeah, I'm um, not sure. Yeah, um, what what pleases me. I mean, I mean, the use of the answering machine and the fact that she takes the batteries out is is really of, of everything the most dated, the most dated detail in the film, which I worried about. And then I said to myself, well, if this actually happened, um, all power would be gone anyway. So people wouldn't be able to use their cell phones. So we'd all be in the same situation that Jane Alexander was. Yeah, I don't think it. I mean, I don't think it dates the film at all. To be honest with you, it's such a, you know, a, a passing it's a small, thing. Yeah, yeah. Correct, correct, absolutely. Yeah. And to have an actor as recognizable as William Devane, you know, as the father, and then to remove him so early on in the picture, I think that was really powerful as well. Because oh. I, I do think I do think the audience is expecting him to return. 
I think so. How can you have William Devane in a film for five minutes? Yeah, <laughs> totally. So a lot of people um, might consider Peter Weir's Witness to be Lucas Haas's first film, but they would be wrong because I think you were his uh, debut film. Well, I gave I gave them Lucas. Um, um, Peter Weir is, is an idol of mine. Um, <laughs> I've loved, loved his work forever. <laughs> and... Um, and I gave them Lucas. I think it was Ed Feldman was the producer, perhaps. I think so. And um, of Witness. And I, they had spoken to me about the film. And anyway, I gave them Lucas, which right. was it. Well, that kid could act, still can. Um, but the depth yes. of his performance is mind-blowing. Was it, as, was it as surprising and revealing to you as it is to the audience? Or just how well this kid can act? Yes, how grateful I was. I mean, I didn't have experience with with child actors, and so I didn't know how lucky I was. But I was also lucky because he had cooperative parents. And in fact, the secret of child actors is their parents. Mm. If they're if they're rotten and ambitious, you you have a whole Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> And I mean, he wasn't the only one. You have all these, you know, young kids on the screen and telling a story that is so nihilistic and psychologically devastating. Did they comprehend the story? Like, were they sheltered from it in many ways? Um, Lucas got it. Lucas said at some point, you know, we started to try to double talk him. Mm. And he said, Daddy's not coming home, is he? <laughs> so he got it. Yeah. You know, he was, yeah. he was he was straighter than we were. Yeah, and, and no, I mean, that, that kid is, you know, has some incredibly uh, heavy moments on screen yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, I, I'm not sure you could do a film like that today and be able to go that sure, far. Sure, you could remember Shirley Temple. I mean, there were wildly talented children around. <laughs> no, I just think um, putting, putting them in as, you know, um, precarious situations, particularly some of Lucas Haas's, you know, um, vulnerable moments, you know, in the film. I don't think you could do it anymore. You mean it wouldn't be permitted? Yeah, I pretty much. I mean, like, just no, I'm assuming oh, that pe people that oh, are, are listening or watching this have probably seen the film, so I don't want to spoil it. So if you get to this point in the conversation and haven't seen the film, then go back and watch it. But, you know, <laughs> he, oh, you have him naked. You have him in a very vulnerable position. He's, you know, not only naked, but he's also, you know, right on the edge of death as well. It's a very, very right. heavy moment. Right, right. Um, and that was done. I remember I was, I was under the sink at that point, and we were in a tiny bathroom, and all of that was going on. And, and um, that's a very moving scene. I love that scene. Yeah, I it's, completely agree. I love that scene. Um, so moving um, to another subject just for a moment, you are, I assume at the time, one of the very, very few female directors making such a, a big, notable film. Was there resistance to that? Not at all. And I've had a peculiar background, which I've had to do some thinking about since I'm a feminist mm -hmm. completely. But I worked in public television most of my life. And in public television here, women worked. Um, there was total e equality. Uh, I mean, I did whatever I wanted. And this film was done for public television. Yes. It was picked up by Paramount, but it was done for American Playhouse for $750,000. And um, I, I had only 
help from them. There was absolutely, they were, I mean, many people apparently had brought them the story and, and I had a canceled check. <laughs> so that made me legal. Yeah. Fascinating. So no resistance at all. That's, it's, it's, you know, I mean, that's a, it's a rare story in, you know, it's, the media. It's that we totally hear. rare. It makes me a less interesting um, interview for, but I was, I mean, it's a salute to public television. It absolutely was, was mm. the way it was in my experience. And I'd been, I worked for, for them in New York and I worked for them out here um, all together, probably maybe, maybe 10 years. Mm. Um, and, and I got to do whatever I wanted. It was quite thrilling. I didn't okay. know how rare it was. Yeah, it was. Know. It wasn't completely on the set itself. There were some funny guys, you know, who, who every time I raised my voice, I heard one say, "She reminds me of my ex-wife." Ah, yeah. <laughs> so, so there were some little asides. Yeah, there. yeah but right. So what does um what does a movie like this like do for you? Like, what does life look like after a critically acclaimed sort of Oscar-nominated film? Does everything change? It only changes if you make it change. I mean, well, probably that's only half true. I got offered every lousy movie that got made. Um, and because I was basically terrified, um, I had no sense of, I mean, I'd really come from documentaries and public television. I, I was not equipped to deal with the Hollywood scene. I was treated, you know, I was treated beautifully for a short while until I started turning everything down. Mm. Um, because I didn't understand why you would make a movie if you didn't like it and respect it. So. Um, and, and is there any regret in that, in, in turning so many down? Um, I was going through a rough period in my life personally um, for a while and um, I don't think I had a choice. I think I did what I had to do. I did eventually make three other, four, four other television films, mm -hmm. um, none of which compared in satisfaction um, to creating something yourself from the beginning. I mean, that's magical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And here's a couple of questions that are just, uh, I have a curiosity about the marketing of this film, and I think it speaks to the integrity of what you've done. But you've got a poster design that is practically all white, and you right. have a title that's very biblical. Right. Do you think like these things lead to a lot of misunderstanding amongst the public? It's not exactly a draw card for a lot of people, you know. Do you think that was a hindrance, or do you think I know retrospectively it, it adds to the power of the film? But do you think at the time it was a hindrance? I wasn't worrying about box office. Um, yeah. I didn't. I I figured I got it made, um, and I wasn't counting on on making a a Marvel comic book next. Um, the the I I God I don't want to sound like goody goody two shoes. Um, mm -hmm. um, I was thrilled that there was a poster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. I was thrilled that there was a poster and they sent me on a, a European publicity tour that cost way more than my film. And, and in fact, the reception in, in, in Europe was, was quite more active. I, I remember 
I had originally, at some point during the early casting, spoken to Julie Christie. And she assured me that the horror of Testament was actually an American horror, mm -hmm. that Europe had survived a war yep. and had lived through a war, and we haven't, mm -hmm. thank God. I mean, yeah. and therefore the horror of it was far more American mm -hmm. than, than you, in, I mean, it is universal, but the horror of it was American. Yeah. Which was interesting to me. She was she was very bright. Yeah, and 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 the 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 studio or the the people behind the film financially must have had a lot of faith in the film to actually do the marketing the way they did because you know like I they said didn't, like, they didn't they didn't they didn't do the marketing. Um, oh, Paramount really? did the marketing. Paramount picked up the film after it yes. was shown at Telluride. Yeah. Um, so so the people who paid for the film. Had nothing even, to do with it. Even still, though, like from Paramount's point of view, like to market the film like they did was quite unusual to, you know, the very, kind of big, very big glitzy marketing they've done on all the very, other films. It, it would never happen today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like I said, you know, looking back on it, that's half of the film's power right there is just, it's, you know, it is uh, just full of integrity. And uh, I, th I don't think there's ever been a post-apocalyptic film made as as much of a sucker punch as this one has like yes, it even does, people people really do get get unhappy they come out sort of sucker punched you know they yeah. come out they do even even something as classic as on the beach you know doesn't match the uh, intensity of the the emotional ride that this one has so the first time um, my my editor and i saw the film um, with it was the first was the only screening we did um, and at the end, it was dead silent. And we thought, oh, my God, we were sitting outside in the lobby and we were sure we'd failed desperately. First, it went dead quiet and there was no response. And we were we were rather desperate until they came pouring out crying, which was nice. Yeah. What what were you anticipating? Like, what was the reaction you had in your mind? Didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. People, nobody's seen it. I mean, the color the color guy at CFI had seen it, um, um, but nobody had seen it. We didn't have a clue. We're pretty much out of time, but that's what I wanted to sort of you know tell oh, you is that this film. Um, I watched it many years ago, but it wasn't until this recent revisit that it really, really hit me as hard as it you know as it did so oh well i'm delighted how how lucky how nice thank you yes so i i encourage everyone to go out and buy this um blu-ray because it is just gorgeous and and your film you know it will be around long after we're gone i can tell you so thank you very much thank you so much for your interest welcome to bonehead weekly fun size we're talking the nuclear holocaust <laughs> yes that's right world war three is happening and it starts somewhere in eastern europe or western europe i really don't know anything about geography james or chad so my pick for this is going to be fairly obscure i've talked about it on the show once before but here, wait here here's my here's your geography lesson anybody ask where anything is you just say over there Mine is from 1990. Do you guys remember HBO used to make just pictures and they didn't do 10-part miniseries or whatever all the time? God bless you, Lightning Jack. By Dawn's Early Light is a movie that's from 1990. And actually, I didn't think, I forgot that it was directed by Jack Shoulder. Jack Shoulder also directed The Hidden and Nightmare on M Street Part 2. 
but it stars Powers Booth, Rebecca De Mornay, James Earl Jones, one of our favorite character actors of all time, Darren McGavin, Jeffrey oh, DeMond, yeah. Rip Torn, Martin Landau. It is an all-star cast. All-star cast. You know what would be better? I mean, Rip Torn's great. I'm not even finished. If they could have got Rip Taylor in there somehow. Yeah. So basically, the, there's a misunderstanding. See how we're rolling. There's a misunderstanding that a NATO missile accidentally misfires uh, that they think it is, but it's actually from Turkey into Russia. Russia counterstrikes. How do we stop it? And it's it's really hard to stop, and it's very tragic. But anyway, check out by Don's Early Light. It's on Prime Video. Well, just to name drop two that I was going to use and see if I can ruin Chad's evening. I thought for a brief moment to mention the great great movie that overshadows star wars damnation alley and then i thought i shouldn't mention that and then i thought you watched about, damnation alley yeah and then i thought briefly about the day the earth caught fire which is a british film but i've got to of course go with the best film about it's, nuclear it, war it's not that, really an alley it's more like damnation field well it's a desert actually yeah uh, anyway damnation, uh, either uh, way not an alley look up damnation, the definition of arizona alley. Anyway, I've got to mention the best. Titles as dumb as the fucking movie. (laughs) The best Jason Robards, Don Johnson team up, directed by LQ Jones, a boy and his dog, written by Ellison. There you go. Now, listen, you name me one post apocalyptic uh, nuclear war movie with a talking dog that's better. And Jason Robards, I can't. It's a great movie. (laughs) Uh, Basically, the plot to the movie, you don't check it out. Check it out sometime. Basically, uh, the guy, the human boy wants to sleep with a bunch of people. The dog wants to find food. And there's been a war. There you go. It's a great film. Check it out. I could go a million ways with the nuclear apocalypse. We did a whole episode on this. We beat Glenn by about five, by what, about 50 episodes. And he did go several different ways. (laughs) Suck a Glenn and Ben. Oh, that rhymes. Yeah, no, but um, no, uh, let's say a nuclear apocalypse doesn't happen worldwide. In fact, let's just say it doesn't even happen countrywide. Let's say it just happens in a building. I want to talk about cl- class of Newcom High. Full disclosure, we are we are interview at the time of this recording. We are three days away from interviewing Lloyd Kaufman, who is I'm a huge fan of, and I am trying to do a lot of prep. And one of those preps was wa- watching Class of Newcomb High for this, and it was literally like yesterday, and it's all that's on my brain. So, Class of Newcomb High, if you haven't seen it, it's a trauma release directed by Lloyd Kaufman. It's about all these kids in a school next to a nuclear. Um, uh, a nuclear power plant and stuff starts leaking from the nuclear power plant in the school. The debate club becomes this, uh, this get biker gang called the Cretans because of the, uh, the, the nuclear waste. And uh, also the nuclear waste starts dripping on the marijuana plants that the Cretans are supplying to the students and weird things happen to the students uh, who smoke this doobies, the, 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 smoke the, the devil's doob- cabbage. Yes. That is laced with toxic waste. A, a lot of crazy things happen in this movie. You never see which way it's going. It just keeps going. And I just love Lloyd Kaufman's sheer madness of pure goofball science fiction. Class of Nukem High. Can't talk about it enough. Why didn't they do a sequel called Nukem U? They, they did do. They did do a sequel, Class of Nukem High Two. Well, yeah, but they, why didn't they go to college? You failed at your joke. You just forgot that they made a sequel. Just admit it. No, I don't want to know why they didn't go to college. Are you saying mutants don't belong in college? This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Side. They went to community college. Let's see. Good old Boneheads there. 
It's, um, those guys have been living it up in Lexington Scarefest over the weekend over there in Kentucky, hosting a panel with uh, none other than Uncle Lloyd Kaufman, mind you. Yes. Yeah. But I did see the call go out last week. They're looking for uh, you know trivia partners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Son of a bitch. And uh, they got creamed. Did they? They did. <laughs> Good old Scarefest uh, regular Jake just uh, wiped the floor. Wiped the floor with them? Yes. <laughs> Anyways, so I don't care. I liked it. <laughs> appreciate what they do, and um, they put that little segment together in the midst of all of their preparation for Scarefest. So thank you to them. Support their podcast, Bonehead Weekly. It's available everywhere you get podcasts from. And they do video. And they do video. Of course they do. It's great. You we can, should do no. You can see their reactions to each other. That's that's yeah. where the gold is. <laughs> Take a sip. <laughs> Does that mean there's no cuts? There's no cuts in their podcast. In their podcast, there's no cuts. Yeah, absolutely. So you see it all? You do. We could never do that. <laughs> we could. That's a different show. It would be a different show. <laughs> a very different show. You may recall we've had discussions off the microphone about something to that effect next year. No, I don't remember. <laughs> that, uh, that whole, was it diabetes? It's, or it's the dementia. 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 <laughs> diabetes. That's what they reckon. Legit, they 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 reckon dementia is actually diabetes type four diabetes or type three diabetes. Oh well, there you go. Type four. I've added a type, but it's type three diabetes. They reckon it's it's uh, you know. There's our PSA, people. Get checked. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. Now that um, just like stop, a nuclear fallout. Stop eating. Stop eating the macas. That that fuck white, that. That white cloud is coming, whether you like it or not. That's right. And <laughs> now that. Now that we're, let me move on, mate. <laughs> I was going to say the, the the beauty of the of the uh, white flash is that I no longer have to die of something horrible related to my butt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Unless the projectile comes first. Comes yeah. <laughs> now that we've had Lynn Littman on the show to discuss Testament, I'm going to recommend another movie that came out at the exact same time, and it's basically the same story but told from a different perspective, and that is 1983's The Day After. Was released on Roadshow on home video. Yes, and talk about a cavalcade of talent for its credit role. Um, it's got a huge cast, which I'll go through soon. Yes, I was just going to say too much Bruce Dern. <laughs> too much Bruce. Dern. <laughs> Bruce Dern's not in it. No. <laughs> but anyway, where Testament depicts a nuclear strike happening without notice, um, this one is more about. I guess the first half of the movie is they're preparing for the fallout, then the second half of the movie is the fallout. You're looking through your phone, it's Jason Robards you're thinking of. Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you were, I was trying to talk and you distracted me because I'm like, you're trying to fucking find Bruce Dern. Yeah. <laughs> I remember there's an old guy in it. Anyway, so yeah. So yeah, Testament right. is all, it starts with the fallout, no, the, the, the attack. The flash. The flash. Whereas this one is one hour before the flash preparing for it and then the flash happens and that's the effect. Do they know the flash is coming? Yes, that's right. So the whole premise of the film is we know this is about to happen because we've got so so long. It's a bit like Miracle Mile. You know, it's coming. Yeah. So they're preparing. Like they're building shelters and we're talking like they've got like a month to prepare, right? Because they know it's coming. Um, and they are also making every effort possible to stop it from happening, but it's not likely. Uh, all the political stuff that's going on. And so, yeah, then the second half is where it turns into Testament, where it is all like you've got trucks full of bodies and, you know, people there's a lot more, suffering. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but I seem to remember there's a lot more, uh, like, bits dropping off people and the, the sick stuff. A little is, bit. Is a, a little a bit, because that. that's the interesting thing, because Testament was originally made for cable television and they decided to go theatrically. This one was made for television. Right. And it was 
up until a certain point in time, the most watched television event of all time. It's like Threads, yeah. which, the, which is the UK, basically the UK version. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but the cast, let's talk about that. Jason Robards heads it. Uh, Joe Beth Williams. You've got Steve Gutenberg in there. Um, Who made? <laughs> you got John Lithgow. You've got Amy Madigan, John Callum, Jeff East, Arliss Howard, Wayne Knight. It's a good cast. Wayne Knight. Yeah, he's wow. very very small role, but you know he's notable anyway. And directed by Nicholas, directed by Nicholas Meyer, who did Wrath of Khan and Time After Time and Come for the Business. Can't not say that. Oh, what a great film. <laughs> yeah, all great films. That's right. Um, interesting facts about this movie. So the term nuclear winter was coined after this movie by Carl Sagan. You know the uh, the the late great scientist who was having a TV debate. In the, in the fallout of this film discussing the possibilities of nuclear war and he coined the term nuclear winter to describe the cooling off period of a, of a fallout and that's sort of now what we call it is a nuclear yeah. winter. It's a great term. Which lasts, what, like 100 years? Yeah, I think it is. And the um, because of the fear this movie generated, Mr. Rogers did an entire week dedicated to um, helping kids cope with the concepts of nuclear fallout. Imagine what those wow. episodes would be like. It seemed like this movie had as much impact as like it yep. did yep. on kids of that time. This movie, I would even liken it more to that War of the Worlds effect. You know, yeah, right. The, yeah, the where Orson everyone freaked Wells out. Yeah, fucking scared everybody. The radio play. Yeah, right. Because this, uh, it's a very realistic depiction of what will happen. And I think, and and obviously, we're talking about nuclear fallout films. And Testament came along. This came along. Joe talked about one that came out at the same time. It was on everyone's mind because Russia was that. Well, threat. Do you remember that kid's book, Where the Wind Blows? Yeah, like, well, I was going to mention in, that because yeah. they made a film out of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they made a film. Yeah. But that, I read that in primary school. I was going, holy shit. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like Animal Farm, isn't it? It's where, you know, we learn about atrocious things through that kind of literature, which we, cartoons. Just, yeah. we don't tend to do anymore. But anyway, before we, we, we throw it to the next bit, I wanted to quote John Lithgow in this movie because he sums it up really well. He does an Albert Einstein quote in this and he's great in this because he's the intellectual. He's the one that's, you know, if they're in a barbershop all freaking out, he's the one sitting in the back with a newspaper that sort of paints out the reality for them. Well, no, that's not going to happen. This is going to happen. And he freaks everybody out with his, you know, facts. (laughs) But but he says in this one, he goes, um, Albert Einstein once said, I don't know how they will fight in World War III, but I do know how they will fight in World War IV with sticks and stones. It's a yeah. great quote. It's a fantastic quote. And he delivers it with perfection. So, anyway, there we go. Check that one out the day after. It's a banger. Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Dulorium. Dulorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. Visit Vulorium.com today to see what it's all about. All right, Ben, what's the final leg of the show? Before I give you the uh, the opportunity to speak about your final recommendation, let's do that thing where I do those notable mentions again and oh, okay. uh, talk about some other Fallout movies. Chad and I were from Bonehead were chatting the other day and he reminded me about Circuitry Man. Remember that with uh, Vernon Wells? Tracy Lords. Yeah, and Circuitry Man 2. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. I forgot about those. Makes me want to watch them. Obviously, I mentioned Radioactive Dreams before, but what about Albert Pune's Cyborg? Yeah. That's a great atmospheric one. I mean, He-Man 2, really. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> come Spider-Man 2. Ma- like, yeah, yeah. But I think Sp- Cyborg 3 is also a really good one as far as you know, set design and... and I mean, even well, Cyborg 2 is also a post-apocalyptic movie. It is. It just feels more sci-fi-ish, and, that uh, one. And, uh, you know, um, good movie Monday alum, Jarrett, did the commentary with Tony Timpone for Mind Warp, another great... Yep. Uh, post-apocalyptic film. Totally. Uh, you mentioned uh, a minute ago Where the Wind Blows. Where mm-hmm. the Wind Blows. That's fantastic. That movie had like great soundtrack. Roger Waters did all the music and David Bowie sang a song. And It's an interesting movie. I watched half of that in the lead up to this show thinking I might recommend it. I just didn't have a lot to say about it. But no. it's, it's definitely... It's definitely a kid's book that they've just animated. Like it's not... Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. The, the voices that irritate me in that one. Yeah. Uh, what else we've got here... Um, Good animated one would be Barefoot Gen one and two. Have you seen those? No, I've never. I've never. So you know, you know the um the the Ghibli film Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, I was going to say that's a big yep. one. Well, it's it's like that, but it's in two ninety minute installments, so it's a real epic. Right. Very similar, and I don't think they've ever released it in an English dub. It's all subtitled, but that's fantastic. So that's worth a look. Panic in Year Zero, right at right at your door. Some good ones, and of course, as we said, on the beach. And and was it James that mentioned uh, a boy and his dog? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> boy and his dog. Remember, uh, isn't uh, Stark? You remember the TV show Stark? I do. Or mini series? Was this the Ben Elton one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's they're in the desert. I thought that was a movie, but I could be mistaken. It's a mini. It was a mini series. Okay. I think it was like sure. over two nights. <laughs> I love Ben those Elton days. Stark with Colin Friels and. And Jacqueline McKenzie, and I remember, like, it was the first time I'd ever heard the phrase, uh, like, I think, I think Colin Fields is talking about Jacqueline Mc, Mc, uh, McKenzie, and he's like, she's got, he's trying to describe her to someone else when he's trying to find out who she is. He's <laughs> like, she's got legs all the way up to her tits. <laughs> like, oh, I can line. hear that in his voice, too. Yeah. Funny as. Anyway, there we go, some, uh, some other titles. Let's. Wrap things up with your final recommendation. I'm keen to hear what this is. <laughs> well, I decided to travel back. Uh, to 1982, to a film that I I actually really likened to Hell Comes to Frogtown. In fact, I actually I thought it was the other way around, but it, I think Hell Comes to Frogtown really ripped off okay. this film. Uh, it is Cafe Flesh. Yeah. Do you remember this? I, re- I remember the poster and it was under my radar when I was looking at movies to talk about and um, I don't remember watching it, but I'm sure it, I've seen it. It is a... Well, because it, it was one of those ones where um, it's... To a degree, it's similar to Caligula. Like it is actually, it's it is actually a pornographic film. Right. Uh, That's probably why I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know it off my heart. And it, it was, but the the way that they got the funding for it was that he he like Caligula, they shot it in two parts. They shot the uh, the science fiction movie parts yep. in one part and the hardcore parts in another and they only showed the science fiction parts to the investors and to get the money shall meet. <laughs> uh, and it's directed by uh, this guy Stephen C. Adian uh, under the pseudonym Rinse Dream which is a great <laughs> a, gr- a great porn pseudonym and uh, uh, Jerry Stahl who was a, is a journalist and basically there's been a nuclear nuclear war Everything's gone to shit. And the population of what's left are now divided into two distinct groups. Mm-hmm. 99% of people are, are sex negatives. Right. Which means the th- even touching another person makes them violently ill. Yep. And 1% of the population, sex positives, who are basically, when they're discovered, they are dragooned into performing in these 
uh, sex clubs where they have sex for the the audience of sex negatives. Yeah. Who 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 just watch them because they can remember how awesome sex is. They just can't do it. So they it's the whole it's, it's this sweaty audience of deprived. Like they can't masturbate. They can't do anything. And and the club it's like this kind of new wave slash Moulin Rougey type club where the performers perform these kind of set these like you know vignettes like and it's like classic porn kind of you know vignettes like the office scenario and uh, yeah. you know I'm looking it up on I'm uh, on Wikipedia now and it's described as a pornographic film so yeah, it, it is, is it's it's a legit like, porno. it was legit it was a legit pornographic film like hundred awesome. yeah. percent that's what it was cool. Uh, but they did. It did get a big release because it was around the time where Deep Throat and all that sort of stuff were were breaking through. Well, because they were they were they had tangible, legitimate narratives with them, and decent production, yeah. like you know, decent production values and stuff. And it's very much like uh, you know the Frankie Goes to Hollywood uh, Pleasure Dome music yeah. video. That's yeah. basically what Club uh, Cafe Flesh kind of is. Yeah. It has like this Borscht Belt comedian who's the host. Of the show, who's actually like, who's totally, who's a sex negative. Yeah. Uh, and into the club, there's a, there's this couple that come to the club all the time. And, um, you know, he hates coming there. She always, he, he's, the girlfriend always wants to come. The main guy, Steve, he doesn't want to come because it just makes him sick and he misses not being able to have sex with, with his girlfriend anymore. And he so he hates it, but she keeps wanting to come. And as the film unfolds, it turns out that maybe she's not as sex negative as she pretends. The amount of times you said they just want to come was just, uh, yeah. quite alarming. But um, <laughs> yeah, the 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 big the big star in this movie was is uh, Pia Snow, who would who started out doing uh, pornographic films yep. and then changed her name and became, along with Linnea Quigley and Brink Stevens. You know, one of the biggest scream queens in the business. That's Michelle Bauer. All right. Uh, and she, she, her, her, like, funnily enough, her pornographic film career. Like, she was, she was making porn in the best time when they, when they were all like, you know, um, Burt Reynolds in Boogie Nights type story driven pornos, and they're great. And it, like, her acting talent really shines through. She's really, really good. And like, the first time I saw this, I only saw the the R-rated version, which I borrowed. It was in the science fiction section at the video, wow. at your know, home show video in Oakley. Imagine some poor bastard that... Like, didn't know. <laughs> but well, without the, the... Because, you know, you take the sex out of it. Mm. You take the hardcore elements out of it. And yeah. they're not that hardcore. Yeah. Like, you know, a little bit here and there. But for the most part, you don't see that much because, you know, it, it, this film is dying for a restoration. I love Vinegar Syndrome to actually find a print yeah. and do a scan because every copy of this I've seen has been... Dark and uh, shitty, and how you know. Do, how would someone pixelated? Find it? Is it a, like? Can you find it anywhere? Of course, you can. You can jump on you know yeah. any <laughs> any number of adult websites, and the entire is. film is there. I'm sure it'd probably also be on YouTube. If you just if you just um, Google the title, it'll be one of the videos. Yeah, you, all right. Like I watched it on. I watched it on X videos. Yeah, I <laughs> I noticed there's part two and three that were made many years later. Many they, years later, and they all they all won like XROC awards and stuff for production you, design. The and sequels do just look like regular porno. <laughs> they don't look like there's much production value in. Well, them. No, like I think that I mean no no they definitely was like they were still they were also kind of um, especially when the second or the third one came out that was when Jane Hamilton 
uh, aka Veronica Hart, was direct. You know, she'd she'd make you know musicals and all sorts of stuff that they you know they re- would keep doing the Devil and Miss Jones and stuff, which were these big budget production kind of yeah. vivid, vivid releases where they had like hundred, two hundred thousand dollar budgets. So bigger than a lot of yep. you know independent kind of action movies and stuff that you know that we love. So these things, you know, they look pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's a great poster too. Check out Cafe Flesh. Wow, it's I know that poster, but I I, I haven't seen it. I'm going to be very interested to see if this is actually on Letterboxd yeah. for me to be able to add because oh. they, they get a bit touchy with the uh, with Do the they? adult films. Do they? Well. Yeah, geez. Anyway, yeah, check it out, people. I've come to the conclusion I haven't seen it, but I definitely want to now. So thank you. I like it when a recommendation <laughs> is an actual recommendation. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, there we go. So a depressing topic, no doubt, but we had fun. Yeah. <laughs> I've just got, now we've just got that REM song playing in my head. Oh, sorry about that. Um, thank you to our mates, Jarrett. Uh, Guillermo, might as well throw him a thanks for... Um, for being, thanks for nothing. For being sick. Hope you feel better, mate. Uh, thank you to Joe Chad and James as well. Um, wouldn't it be great to get the boneheads down here one day on the desk? How amazing would that be? Probably wouldn't fit them on the desk. We'd have to do I think it somewhere it, else. I think it's more likely that we could end up on their desk. Yeah, we'll just have to keep working on that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you also to Chloe and Melzi who helped me out behind the scenes. And you can catch Chloe alongside myself Wednesday nights from 10.30 on our Up Late show. Um, that's on Facebook and YouTube, as well as our website. But um, don't rely too much on our website at the moment. Been having some funky troubles with that. So um, got to get to the bottom of what the fuck's going on because it's not online at the moment. <laughs> Hopefully by the time you hear this, it is. It is. Anyway, Facebook's where you find us. Um, my chat with Lynn Littman will also be online in video form to watch from tomorrow night. And then you and I will be presenting tonight our reaction to, uh, what was it, Barbarian. Barbarian. Is that what it's called? Barbarian. <laughs> you know that you barbarian. had it earlier where you just say a word and suddenly it's not connecting? Yeah. Yeah. Barbarian. I'm saying the word barbarian like, what am I talking about? Barbarian? <laughs> That's right. What? Wababalui. <laughs> anyway, it's been, it's been a big week, mate. Um, on to next week's show, Halloween. Next week is the 31st. Monday is the 31st. So we're going to be talking about Halloween movies. I'm looking forward to that because I've just got a whole heap in mind that I want to talk about and might just have to just go on a random crusade of fucking name dropping. <laughs> that, that'll make a, an interesting change. <laughs> uh, well, it's going to be weird, kooky and spooky. So how about that? Um, we're going to close the show with a song that is all about the um, the whole nuclear winter thing. It's a song called... In the this... End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M. <laughs> it's called <laughs> In This Twilight. Sorry, Ben, it's by Nine Inch Nails and it's definitely a descriptive song, that's for sure. Um Maybe I can just do a bit of an overlap of uh, End of the World on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) Catch you later, everyone.